I'm Panicky in the UK. This is Panicky Pictures. Ah! Yes, yeah, so long time no pod. Um, I'm recording this on the 1st of May. Hopefully it will go out not too long after that. Um, which means that we're a third of the way through the year now. And this is the first episode that I'm recording. And I'm also talking about the movies of 2022 in this episode. However... If you think about it, a third of the way through a day, if the year were a day, we would be at 8am, right? Is my maths right? I think it is. So that's early to me. Um, so it's just not worry about it. You know what? It's fine. And I've had a lot going on. Uh, we don't have to get into it, but you know, like I've had stuff. So, um, anyway... You know, I could have just not done this episode and just moved on to something else, but I made all these notes already, and, you know, I've been meaning to record this for a long... It's boring to talk about how long I've been meaning to record this, so I'm just going to move on. So, this is kind of like my little award show, and of course, originally the plan would be that I would record this either at the beginning of the year, or at least, like, while it was still award season, (laughs) so that it would kind of make sense. Um, But that didn't end up happening, so it's just the movies that I enjoyed in 2022, and the rule is that they came out in 2022, I'm using the release dates on Letterboxd just because it's easier. So, like, some of these movies might have come out in the UK in 23, and I didn't watch all of them in 22. Like, I've caught up on some of them since then. But yeah, that's just the rule that I'm using because it makes my life easier. And, you know, you are definitely not going to agree with all of these. Um, And how boring would it be if you just listened to this and you just agreed with it? Or, well, actually, sometimes when I listen to a podcast and I agree with everything that they're saying, you know, it's really nice, it's validating, so I get that. But at the same time, you know, um, I'm, I'm probably going to be talking about movies that you either hated in a couple of cases, or, you know, you didn't like as much as I did, or you just, you know, didn't see. Um, I'm definitely going to be concentrating on stuff that I feel kind of went under the radar, or maybe was underrated in my opinion, so I'm probably not going to be name-checking so much the things that have already got a lot of attention and actually did get a bunch of awards and, you know, that are on everybody's best of lists, which is not me being deliberately contrarian, you know, this is my real opinion, but at the same time, you know, I think that part of that is me wanting to talk about films that maybe haven't got as much attention. So, yeah. So that's that. That's what it is. Um, anyway, you know, if you if you disagree with me, that's fine. But just you know, just don't be a dick about it. And you can have your own podcast, and you can talk about the movies that you liked, right? <laughs> I don't know why I'm so nervous. I'm really out of practice. Okay. Um, look, let's just let's just get into it, right? So. I probably put these in a weird order because I know you're kind of supposed to start with the technical stuff and then build up to the big awards. Um, I'm not going to do that just because <laughs> just because then I'd have to pause the recording and like move stuff around on my document. And uh, as you can probably already tell, this is not going to be a highly organized episode. So that's just not happening. 
Okay, so let's just let's just get into it. So I'm going to start with what is probably the biggest award of the night, um, and that's my film of the year. And this is definitely well. You know what? See if you can guess. Just think of think of guesses. Three, two, one, and my film of the year is The House. The Netflix stop-motion animation set in what may or may not be the same house. It's three different stories. It's an anthology movie. Uh, Did you guess? I bet you didn't. Um, I loved this film. I thought it was taking such big swings. I thought it was just beautiful. So involving. So moving. I loved the way that the stories were organised. They're all very different, um, but, you know, playing with a lot of the same ideas, um, but but really wildly different. But the way that they're organised, you know, you start off with this kind of dark fairy tale, um, felt a little bit kind of tale of tales, quite disturbing, um, very much from a kind of child's point of view, and then you move into, oh, and also set in a kind of... Um, fictionalised past. And then you have one that's very much kind of modern day. um, And suddenly we've gone from humans to animals. There's no real explanation for that. It just happens and you accept it. Uh, And you've got a a mouse or possibly a rat who's trying to flip a house. Um, But he's it's a it's a home invasion story, essentially. Uh, And then finally you have this third story that's set in this future and in a sense it's kind of a dystopian future and yet it's actually the most hopeful story um, in the anthology and there's something really beautiful about that I think. Um, So yeah, so the house is it for me. I just loved it. I feel like not enough people saw it, not enough people were talking about it. Obviously, you probably already know that I'm a huge fan of animation. If you Actually, have I talked about that that much on this podcast? You might not know that about me. If you follow me on Letterboxd, you probably know that. Or if you know me in real life um, and spoke to me about my dissertation or whatever. But, you know, but it's true. I am, I am a huge fan of animation. And uh, I just felt like... This film was doing something so bold, it was visually so striking, and it just got to me emotionally on a very deep level. So uh, so that is my film of the year. Okay, moving on to best live action film. So I'll just tell you what the nominations are, and one of them will probably make you angry, but you know what? I don't, I don't care. Alright, so... In fact, two of them might make you angry and the winner might make you angry. I, you know what? I'm not responsible for your emotions, you know? So just kind of think on that. So the nominees are 3,000 Years of Longing, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Blonde, Prey, and Glass Onion. So yeah, um, and I have to say that I think that some of these have kind of faded in my memory somewhat since I put this list together. You know, I I don't really feel... I don't really feel super strongly about some of these films anymore. However, the one that is the winner for me 
And again, not everybody's going to like this, but for me it is 3,000 Years of Longing, which is not to say that I don't think there are things that are wrong with it, and honestly, that's something that I probably want to get into in a lot more detail at some point, so I'll kind of put a pin in that. Absolutely, I have criticisms of it, or I have questions about it, you know, about the way that it depicts single women, about some of the casting choices, um, various aspects of it. But all I can say is that I found it really transportative, I found it really beautiful, it had a sense of magic about it that I rarely feel with contemporary cinema. Um, not never, but rarely, especially contemporary cinema that is aimed at adults. And I, you know, I I can't dismiss my emotional response to it, particularly the um, Song of Solomon scene just absolutely gave me goosebumps. Um, it just really worked on me. And that's not to say that I can't see things that are wrong with it, as I've said, but, you know, it just, it just grabbed hold of me and yeah so it's my best live action film of the year what you're gonna do okay best live action film not in english so i had to create this category because i really wanted to honor this film but i actually wasn't sure if it would i'd really built this film up in my mind i think before i got a chance to see it because i wanted to see it for so long and um by the time i actually saw it it was still great, I loved it, but I think maybe it didn't quite live up to what I had built up, or it was just smaller and lower stakes, I guess, than I imagined. It was lovely, but just very unshowy, I guess, and maybe didn't distinguish itself as much as I thought it was going to, so I wanted to have a category for it, um, so that I could still talk about it. Uh, and that film is The Quiet Girl, or Ankalin Kiwen. Um, I really hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, I'm still trying to learn Irish, I'm still learning Irish, um, but my pronunciation is probably um, my weakest area, I would say, uh, which is you know, really saying something, because there's a lot of weaknesses there, but, um, but yeah, so I apologise if that's not correct, but, um, I believe it's on Colleen Kewen, and yeah, a really stunning, really beautiful, really kind of peaceful, meditative, melancholy, bittersweet, of course important, amazing to, um, have an Irish language film get, you know, I would say probably an unprecedented level of recognition, even though it's still not the level of recognition that I would have liked that film to get. And there were, you know, other Irish films that came out last year that got a lot more attention that maybe, maybe I didn't like as much, let's just say. But, uh, you know, we can, we can talk about that some other time. Uh, because this is supposed to be, okay, this is supposed to be a celebration of films that I enjoyed and that I want to talk about. On the other hand, I do have some worst awards coming up, so I'm just talking shit, really. But, you know, anyway. Um, right, so best live-action film I didn't see, because there are a ton of films from last year that were really celebrated and that I heard great things about that I still have not got around to seeing. Um, it's funny, you know, like, when I talk to film people online, they'll be kind of like, oh yeah, you know, I saw 752 films this year, and 
60% of them were 2023 films, and I went to, like, 11 different film festivals, and it's kind of like, okay, must be nice, right? It's kind of like, do you not have to, like, work? And, you know, where are you getting all this time and money from? And energy? I don't get it. Like, I mean... God bless, but that could not be me. And when I talk to people in real life, even people who, you know, are somewhat kind of film buffs, uh, you know, like, they'll be kind of like, oh yeah, no, I didn't see that. That's like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's normal. So, I don't know. Um, I def- I see, I see more movies than I would say the the people that I know in real life but then when I compare myself to you know like other film people on the internet it makes me feel really inadequate so I don't know what the metric is but anyway so there are a few there are a few films that I still haven't got around to seeing that are still on my watch list and these are ones that probably are like some of the best of the ones that I still haven't seen but I don't obviously don't actually know because I haven't seen them. So the ones I've put on that list are The Fablemans, Living, and Decision to Leave, and probably Living is the best one of that. That's the vibe I've got, but again, I'm guessing. I don't know. You tell me. Okay, best animated film that wasn't The House, because I actually think it was a really good uh, year for animation. There were several animated films that uh, I ranked really highly on my list. Um, others that were a lot more mid, but still, like, I think an impressive year for animation. Probably more impressive than for live action, I would say, arguably. So, okay. So this is best animated film that wasn't The House. That I saw. And the nominees are Turning Red, The Sea Beast, Enter Galactic, The Bob's Burgers Movie, and Lightyear. Now, of those, um, Lightyear ended up kind of, like, right in the middle of my list, and it was actually the kind of metric that I used when I was ranking something subsequently, where I'd be kind of like, okay, does this go above or below Lightyear? If it goes above Lightyear, it means, on balance, I liked it. If it goes below Lightyear, it means, on balance, I didn't like it. Lightyear was, like, perfectly balanced. I neither liked nor disliked this movie. It was, you know, completely mid. Um, But it still made the list, so whatever. So of these, I am going to go with Turning Red, which I absolutely loved. I, I think it's so joyful. It's quite daring. I mean... You know, it feels like such a low bar to say that a movie is daring just because it talks about periods or whatever. It's kind of like, fucking hell, you know, it's the 21st century. Like, is that really, is is the bar really that low? But I do think it was daring in a lot of ways, in the way that it talked about kind of adolescent sexuality in a way that was really compassionate and did not sexualize those adolescents inappropriately but yet was still able to acknowledge their sexuality and not pathologize it. And I also, the other thing that I loved about it was this idea that you can honor tradition and your ancestors not by blindly following tradition and, you know, kind of replicating tradition, but by 
by being true to yourself and being transformative towards those traditions and making them work in a way that is still authentic to you and progressive without entirely turning your back on that tradition and that's that's beautiful to me I think that's so lovely um so the I really don't think there was anything about that movie that I didn't like I was I was so impressed by it but there were other uh there were other great animated films uh from this past year well you know from 2022 um I think the sea beast would probably be my second favorite certainly it's the second it's the next one after that on my ranking uh, I really enjoyed The Sea Beast. I think maybe it's a bit more derivative than I was giving it credit for because I watched like half of How to Train Your Dragon one time and I fell asleep. I w- it's not a reflection on the movie. I was just really tired. But I've never seen those movies apart from like, you know, the first half. And I've kind of heard that The Sea Beast is pretty derivative of, of those movies. Um, but I wasn't aware of that when I saw it. It's definitely a Moana vibe and the director uh, of the Sea Beast worked on Moana as well but I still think it's doing something different enough. Um, I did have some issues with it, um, largely accent related Um, but I I did still really really like it. And then others, you know, as I said, I found Lightyear to be very mid um, and it's kind of heartbreaking to me because the Toy Story movies really mean a lot to me. And yeah, Lightyear was okay, right? Bob's Burgers movie was the first movie that I saw back at the cinema. I was very late getting back to seeing stuff in the cinema for, you know, personal reasons we don't need to get into. Um, So it's kind of special to me for that reason, but I think it is ultimately pretty forgettable. Um, You know, really, I'd totally watch it again. It was very fine, but you know, it was it was fine. Enter Galactic, um, yeah, f- a flawed film, but also lots to admire there. It's really cool to see a rom-com doing something a little bit different. Um, it's cool to see more rom-coms with black leads. So I, I enjoyed it, but on the other hand, you know, I, I definitely felt there were issues with it, and, uh, you know, particularly just in terms of, like, narrative structure and you can read my review on Letterboxd for more if you're interested in my criticisms of it, but, you know, still a lot to admire there, for sure. But yes, so Turning Red is my favourite animated film that wasn't the house of 2022 that I saw. So let's talk about the animated films I didn't see, and there's one very obvious one, (laughs) which I'm sure would have topped my list if I had actually seen it. Um, But okay, let's go through them. So we have... Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, we have Strange World, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, and Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. I mean, you know, obviously Strange World massively underperformed, but I've heard really good things about the other three. Um, I'm still hoping to see all of them in the not-too-distant future, but it just hasn't happened yet. Obviously, the best one is Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Um, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Well, some people really love the Puss in Boots movie um but I think you know I think the general consensus absolutely is that Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio is you know a stunning achievement and really fantastic of course I wouldn't know I haven't seen it but I'm gonna trust that that is the case it sounds right to me 
Um, so that's the best animated film that I didn't see, and that's all I have to say about that. Okay, so worst live action slash animation hybrid. So, Robert Zemeckis's Pinocchio or Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers. Now, it's probably going to be pretty obvious which one I'm going to go for, because one of those two movies is obviously the worst. However, um, I actually disliked Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers much more than most people did. I had real issues with it. I found it, yeah, really off-putting. And I know some people responded to it much better, and actually... I don't think anybody loved it, really, but a lot of people quite liked it. But yeah, it just really didn't work for me. However, of course, the worst live-action-slash-animation hybrid of 2022 is Robert Zemeckis' Pinocchio. So many baffling creative choices, and it just feels really amateurish for a movie that Robert Zemeckis is making and Disney is putting out. It just feels so unfinished. It's bizarre. Um, You know, we don't need to kick this movie around the block. Everybody knows that it was bad and it was really poorly received. But let's just be honest, like, that is very much the case. Okay, so moving on to best rom-com. You know, I don't think it was a great year for rom-coms in the grand scheme of things, but I do think it was probably one of the better years we've had for rom-coms in recent memory. Are they making a comeback? I don't know. Uh, Let's hope so, right? Um, Probably more on streaming uh, than theatrically, but, you know, we did have, we did have a a couple coming out. Um, You know what, this is something that I really want to get into in a lot more depth separately. But anyway, so, uh, so best rom-com for me is between Bros, Fire Island, and Intergalactic, none of which I loved unconditionally. I did have issues with all of them. Um, this is actually really tricky. I, I, I have ranked Bros the highest, but I think... I did have issues with bros, but at the same time, I felt that it kind of captured that sort of um, classic rom-com magic the best of those three, even though I absolutely had reservations. Um, I really enjoyed Fire Island, but I also thought that it was just kind of just a little bit too beholden to the Pride and Prejudice framework in a way that I felt didn't really serve the characters or the story ultimately. Um, But there was a lot that I did really like about it. Um, Intergalactic I've already talked about. So it's it's a really tricky one, you know. I as I say, I had reservations about all of them. I there were things that I liked and admired in all of them. I've gone with bros, um, but you can probably hear in my voice that I'm not 100% on that. But, you know, I I think I have really high standards for rom-coms, you know. It's one of my favourite genres, but it just really has to hit right for me. So, yeah, um, tricky one. Uh, best rom-com I didn't see is Spoiler Alert. 
Um, and I don't know that much about it, but I've just heard good things. Um, I don't even know if it's necessarily classifiable as a rom-com. That's kind of the vibe that I've got from it, but I could be wrong. Um, but yeah, it looks really good. Oh, and I mean, I do think it's worth, like, talking about the fact that three of those are queer, well, let's be honest, gay rom-coms, and one of them has black leads. Um, and of course, Rye Lane came out recently, another rom-com with black leads, which I haven't seen yet, but it looked really good, and I'm really excited to see it when I get a chance. So, you know, I think, even though this shouldn't be kind of the defining feature of any of these movies, I do think it's really worth kind of acknowledging and celebrating the fact that rom-coms are becoming way more diverse. I still think that as far as queer rom-coms go, they're very much, you know, dominated by, like, cis gay men. Uh, But, you know, whatever. It's still good. But, uh, like, you know, come on. Let's be happy about something for once in our fucking lives. It's it's a net positive. All right. Uh, Best horror. So, one of these is going to piss people off. It really is. Uh, In fact, yeah, it really is. So, best horror. X, Nope, Prey, and Blonde. I know what you're thinking. You hated Blonde and you don't think it's a horror movie. Well, I think it is a horror movie and I thought it was a really good horror movie. And in fact, it is my (laughs) winner for best horror. Okay? So, deal with it. Um, In fact, you know, of those, honestly... I really liked Prey. I did really like Prey. Um, I didn't think that much of X, to be honest with you. And Nope didn't hit for me the way it did for a lot of other people. There were elements of it that worked really well for me, but as a whole, I didn't totally feel like it came together. And I think that Jordan Peele has been, you know, this whole thing of spectrality, fame, that feels like Jordan Peele going through something which is fine, but I think that the ideas that he was playing with in Get Out, and particularly in Us, to me, were way more compelling and interesting. I kind of feel like the point where people start people start making movies about celebrity and fame, it's kind of like, okay, you know, this feels like it's for you now, which is fine, but it just didn't really resonate with me in the same way that his early films have as much. But, you know, I'm in the minority and that's fine. Anyway. So best horror I didn't see. Quite a few because I'm I'm funny with horror, you know? Sometimes I love it. Sometimes I find it really hard going and I'm too scared. Um, so best horror I didn't see. Oh, yeah. I, I forgot to go back and, like, justify my choice of blonde. But you know what? If you know, you know. If you get it, you get it. And if you don't, I feel sorry for you. Okay. Best horror I didn't see. Nocebo, um, which I thought looked really interesting. Didn't get a huge amount of buzz, it feels like, but I don't know. Um, Barbarian, The Menu, Bones and All, and Master. I'm going to go with Barbarian. It's the one that I've heard the most effusive praise of. Um, I'd still like to see it at some point. I kind of feel like I've been spoiled for it a little bit, Um, but you know, who knows? I could be surprised. But yeah, I think of those, the ones that I really want to catch up on would be Nocebo, Barbarian, and Master. 
Whereas the menu and bones of all, bones and all, I kind of could take or leave, I reckon. Um, much as I love a good cannibalism narrative, um, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, you know, I'll, if they if they kind of fall into my lap, I'll totally give them a shot. All right, let's keep going. So, best documentary. Uh, it's, I actually just watched this. Like, I just finished watching this, and. Um, it wins Best Documentary by default because I think it's actually the only 2022 documentary that I've seen so far, which, yeah, um, is slightly embarrassing, to be honest. But I don't know, was it a huge year for documentaries? Like, what what else? What am I missing? I'm sure I'm missing something huge, but I just can't think. It felt like... Oh man, again, I'm probably really embarrassing myself and I just have like a huge blind spot and I can't think of the obvious thing. But I feel like there wasn't a really buzzy documentary this year. Maybe Flea? Was that 2022? Um, I didn't see that, so. Okay, best documentary is Lynch slash Oz, which actually, you know, yeah, very much by default. Um, You know, I love David Lynch, I love The Wizard of Oz, I love, you know, like, video essays about movies. So it ticked a lot of boxes for me. Um, I would say that um, it's very variable in quality to me. Definitely ended on a high note. I felt like the David Lowry section was the best, Um, but there were other sections that were deeply underwhelming. Um, And yeah, I don't know, structurally I felt like it didn't quite figure out what it was trying to do or say it just felt a little bit bitty um so so yeah a bit of a kind of curate's egg of a film but as i said it wins by default and i did think that the david lowry section in particular was really really powerful it gave me goosebumps so there we go okay so now I have least fun. Remember when I said this was about me celebrating movies that I liked? Well, you know. Uh, okay, least film. And this is for films that, like, I feel like don't justify their existence as films. They're kind of, like, just nothingy. Um, it might be that I really disliked them, or it might just be that I just thought they were pointless. Um, okay, so the nominees are... Cha Cha Real Smooth, X, and Good Luck to You, Leo Grande. Um, so basically all movies... So like, okay, so X, for example, visually interesting, sure. Um, interesting performances, I guess. Um, it just didn't hit for me. But, you know, I I don't really respond to slasher movies usually anyway, so maybe that was why, but... I just did not get the hype. I really didn't. It just felt like it was not really saying anything. And I've heard great things about Pearl, and I'm sure Pearl is great. Well, I'm not sure, but, you know, I'm willing to believe that Pearl is great. But, yeah, X just really did not hit for me at all. Good luck to you, Leo Grande. Um, I found very underwhelming. um, And didn't use visual storytelling at all to convey information very, very talky, very dialogue heavy, very static, very stagey, but even on stage, I feel like you'd be kind of like, what am I looking at? You know, it feels like a radio play, a mediocre radio play to me at best. Um, I didn't hate it, I just found it just to be 
not a film. Cha-Cha Real Smooth, oh my god, what the fuck was that? I hated that film. Who cares about that? I just, oh my god, it was just, ugh. Really not for me. Anyway, so the winner of least film for me is Cha Cha Real Smooth. Um, I just, yeah, I, I just, I don't even know what to say about it. I, it was such a waste of my time. Okay, let's move on to celebrating people. Um, alright, so best, uh oh. <laughs> it's gonna piss people off again. Um, Best lead performance, Anna Diamas in Blonde, Amber Midthunder in Prey, Daniel Craig in Glass Onion, and Janelle Monet in Glass Onion. And I am going to go with Anna Diamas in Blonde. I thought she was really, really good in that movie. Not only because she did give a performance that I felt kind of uncannily conjured Marilyn Monroe, but also because she's giving this crazy dual performance, you know, and sorry not to use the C word, but, um, but, you know, this really interesting dual performance of this kind of, um, this Marilyn Monroe figure that almost kind of possesses Norma Jean, and I felt like she was doing that so well, she was playing the vulnerability, and it, yeah, absolutely, a lot of that was about hitting the mannerisms and um, doing what you might call an impression, but I think it was more than an impression, I think it really was a performance, and I found it really powerful and really moving, and I know that most people massively disagree with me, and they have issues with that film for all kinds of different reasons that I personally disagree with, but for me, you know, I thought Anna Diamas was really impressive in that film. Um, Amber Midthunder in Pride, I also thought was great, and, you know, I trust that she's going to go on to have an incredible career, it feels like that film absolutely did the work of kind of launching her and, you know, being a kind of showcase for what she could do. Um, and then, yeah, you know, the two leads in Glass Onion. They're both really good. What more is, you know, what, what do you want me to say? They're both good. So, but Anna Diamas, for me, was the best. And, and I, I, I know that you don't agree with me and that you're angry right now, but uh, I'm... I'm just, I, I'm being true to myself, so just relax, okay? Uh, Alright, so, best supporting performance. Coco the dog in Prey. It's such a good dog. Um, Adrian Brody in Blonde. Julianne Nicholson in Blonde. I thought they were both really good. <laughs> okay, Brandon Perea in Nope. Stephen Yun in Nope. And Terry Notary in Nope. Um, for me... The supporting performances in Nope were some of the best things about it, honestly. Um, but I gotta give it to Terry Notary. And not the first time, I think, that he's really stolen a film with just one key scene. Terry Notary is such an intense physical performer. And his scene or scenes, you know, the sequence... Um, in Nope was absolutely the standout for me and it was the part that genuinely chilled me 
and that I still think about are really fucking great. Um, so yeah, absolutely Terry Notary for Best Supporting Performance. Just stunning. Um, so well done him. Alright, Best Ensemble. Um, The House, Glass Onion, Fire Island, See How They Run. Now, obviously, you know, I've been very effusive about The House. However, I think the reason I didn't go with this one for Best Ensemble is because the the three anthology segments are distinct, so it kind of feels like cheating, really, to call it an ensemble piece, even though it is, you know, not all of those leads kind of interact with each other. So it feels like a little bit of a stretch, but I did throw it in there anyway. Glass Onion, you know, I think rightly praised for the ensemble and the casting and everything, but I have to be honest, I'm really just not a fan of Kate Hudson, and she is a big part of that movie, and so for me, um, that kind of let it down. Uh, Fire Island, yeah, I think a really strong ensemble, and I don't think that there's a weak link there, but I am going to go for See How They Run, and the, the reason for that is that even though I didn't particularly like that film, particularly in the third act, it kind of had me up until then, and then it really lost me, I don't think there's a bad performance in that film. I think everybody's really good, and I think the ensemble is probably the best thing about the movie. So I am going to give it to see how they run, even though that is a film that in other ways I have a lot of issues with and, you know, hasn't made it really into any other of my uh, categories. Or maybe one of them? I can't remember. Anyway, we'll get there. Okay! Best original song. Now, what I'm hoping is that in the edit I can uh, splice in just little clips of each of these songs. Um, And I guess if I don't get around to doing that, then I'll just take out the part where I say that. Um, But let's see. Uh, So my nominees for best original song are This House Is from The House. Sunshine falls through our window Highlighting the fact that I'm on my own again A home is a place love and life can mix A house is nothing, nothing But a collection of bricks This house is nothing but a collection of bricks This is a life from everything, everywhere, all at once this is a life Every possibility From destiny I choose you and you choose me Not only what we serve Pandas Unite slash Nobody Like You reprise from Turning Red. I never met nobody like you. Had friends and I've had buddies. It's true, but they don't turn my tummy the way you do. I've never met nobody like you. Captain.
Rising Crow from the Sea Beast. Sunny Side Up Summer from the Bob's Burgers movie. Summer, I might see just what turn out to be. And it's gonna be the sunny side of summer of our lives. Sunny side of summer, it will be great, it's gonna work, we'll hug and kiss and go berserk. No. Huh? And Lucky Ducks from the Bob's Burgers movie. It's such a drag to have a boss who pays you bad. Who pays you bad. Who bumps you off. Some Lucky Ducks get all the water. Yes, they do. But that's not us. Lucky Ducks. They really stink. They really suck. So, okay, so legally I think I'm allowed to use clips from the songs if I do a little review of each of the songs. So, okay. Um, This Is A Life I think is really stunning. It's David Byrne and Mitski, which is already kind of automatically winning me over. I'm such a big fan of both of their work. Um, And yeah, absolutely resonated for me. Really, really worked. Pandas Unite slash Nobody Like You, brackets, reprise. Yeah, um, you know, I honestly hasn't lingered in my memory that much. I do think that it's impressive, technically, um, but it's just, yeah, it just hasn't stuck with me as much as I would like to say that it had. Um, so just maybe not as memorable as it should have been and I think maybe part of the issue is that I was never that into the whole kind of boy band scene so it just doesn't have that nostalgia value for me um nevertheless you know I I totally you know respect what it's doing on a technical level um and I think that it's impressive it just didn't really linger on my memory that much Captain Crow Um, I really like the idea behind it, Um, and I think, you know, to a degree it's catchy, but I also think it's a little bit rough around the edges. There are lines in there that don't scan, and I feel like, you know, that's just not authentic, you know, with a kind of, like, shanty slash folk song. It feels like... If, if a line doesn't scan, it gets modified until it does scan, or it doesn't catch on, you know? Th- maybe I'm wrong about that, I don't know, but that's how I feel about it. And so, you know, I, I it just didn't quite achieve what it was setting out to do for me, which is a real shame, because as I said, I, I like the concept behind it. Um, Sunny Side Up Summer and Lucky Ducks, I think, are both 
um, really fun tunes. However, I you know, I, I think Bob's Burgers has always been great for original songs, and I don't know if they stand out among the kind of pantheon of Bob's Burgers songs in general. And that's kind of how I felt about the movie as well, which is like, yeah, I had a good time watching it, but I don't know if it really justified itself as being a feature-length story. You know, I don't know if it really distinguished itself from the show in a big way. And I feel like the, the kind of the quality of the songs reflects that in that, you know, I liked them, they're fun, they're great, but they just um don't they don't quite justify their existence in a feature length theatrical musical um in the same way that I felt like the kind of narrative of the film didn't necessarily justify bringing Bob's Burgers to the big screen but you know I I don't dislike it you know no hate it just it it was slightly underwhelming for me so by process of elimination, that leaves this houses by Jarvis Kafka and Gustavo Santahaya. Am I saying that right? I've never known how to say it right. I could have looked it up, but I didn't. Um, Santahaya? I don't know. Anyway, um, forgive me. Uh, but anyway, uh, two musicians that I absolutely love, um, been a really big fan of both of their work for a long time. More Jarvis Cocker, I will say, but absolutely both of them. And, you know, it's tricky because I think This Is A Life is fantastic and it could so easily have won. But I just think that my deep, deep, deep affection for Jarvis Cocker and his work just kind of gave this one the edge and also my love of the film uh, in general because everything everywhere all at once I did really like but you know I think we're all acknowledging that it was a little bit overhyped and you know whatever and the house really didn't get the level of recognition that I think it deserved so, you know, maybe that's swaying me a little bit in that direction. Honestly, I would be happy for either of those two songs to take it. Um, I think that they're both great. Um, I am going to go with This House Is, but it's a very, very close one. Okay, so best visual effects. And the nominees are 3,000 Years of Longing, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Prey, Nope, and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, which is the only category that that movie gets nominated in. So I, I think all of these films have impressive visual effects. Doctor Strange, like, yeah, you know, like, it's they've got all the money in the world to play with, so it's not that impressive. But at the same time, yeah, you, know, you did a good job. There's some um visually striking set pieces in that movie particularly in the third act not enough to make it a good movie or particularly interesting but you know like they were there um of course everything everywhere all at once a much lower budget film very impressive kind of what they did um pray and no actually both kind of doing i would say similar things in terms of visual effects right but for me, again, it does have to be 3,000 Years of Longing, just because the emotional reaction that I had 
to the visuals was so so strong and I've you know I've mentioned it before but in the Song of Solomon scene in particular I just was so bowled over by the visual invention and absolutely you know like is it the most seamless use of visual effects no sure it isn't but you know did it work on me emotionally a hundred percent so that's one I have to go with I know people are gonna be angry at me but you know like whatever just 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 this is this is this is my opinions you don't have to share them and that's fine okay um speaking of which (laughs) so best makeup and styling the nominees are blonde 3,000 Years of Longing, Do Revenge, not a movie I otherwise liked, but have to hand it to the makeup and styling, Prey, stunning, and X, one of the things I did think that the the movie did really well. I am going to give it to Blonde again. Um, And again, you know, it... uh, Say what you will, I think that the physical transformation of Anna Diarmas into Marilyn Monroe is incredibly impressive. And you know, I do think it's, 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 yeah, I I just think it's a stunning achievement. And I I think that a lot of the credit also has to go to her performance. It's not just about the makeup and styling, but that is a huge part of it. And, you know, maybe that's not something that you think is worthy of admiration. You know, maybe you think it's kind of shallow or hack or whatever. I disagree. I actually found it incredibly impressive. So, whatever. Okay, best costume design, and the nominees are Glass Onion, Blonde, Do Revenge, See How They Run, and X. So, a lot of the same ones. Um, I gotta go with Glass Onion. Uh, you know, a movie that hasn't massively fared well in my memory. You know, the more time goes by, the more criticisms I have of it, particularly in comparison to the first film, even though there was stuff that I really enjoyed and I had a great time watching it. However, I do think the costume design really was impeccable in that film. You know, and I'm not just talking about Daniel Craig and his, you know, swimming costume, although obviously that's part of it, but... Kate Hudson's costumes in that film. I've said I'm not a huge fan of her and her performance, but the costumes, amazing. And Janelle Monet's costumes too, you know, because we're seeing, let's say, uh, two sides to her performance, and, you know, the costumes are a big, big part of that. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. I've got to give it to Glass Onion, even though maybe it hasn't done that well in these awards otherwise the costume design beautiful okay so (laughs) you may be thinking surely that's it uh but (laughs) actually no uh because um i also have some categories for tv so nobody's forcing you to listen to this okay so if this if this is boring why am i being so defensive (laughs) You know what, listeners, um, again, it's it's been a while and I've had some stuff going on. Um, I'm a little bit stressed out. Um, I hurt my back and um, I chipped a tooth. Uh, so I've just got like a lot of like stresses. <laughs> and I'm sorry that I'm taking it out on you. You're great. You've done nothing wrong. I'm 
please, please don't take it personally. This is my, this is my stuff. Anyway, alright, let's talk TV, which I love to do. Again, this is TV shows that came out in 2022, so The Last of Us is not eligible. Otherwise, obviously, it would be sweeping this. We all know The Last of Us fucking rules, and I want to talk about that a lot more, um, maybe in, like, a subsequent episode. It's, it's the best, and we love it, and we rightly love it. But it's not eligible for this, so just, you know, just cast your mind back to last year, and let's talk about some 2022 shows, okay? So, best new TV show. It's a long list. There was a lot of great TV from last year, okay? So, let's talk about it. The nominees are Severance, Our Flag Means Death, House of the Dragon, The Resort, Prehistoric Planet, The Busted Son and the Devil Himself, The After Party, and The Rehearsal. Whew. Um, some of these I've already talked about, some of these I haven't. Obviously, I've talked very extensively about House of the Dragon. Um, I'm pretty sure I've talked about Severance, Prehistoric Planet, The Busted Son and the Devil Himself, and The After Party already on the podcast. They're all on Apple TV+, Plus, so almost certainly would have talked about all of them in one of my Apple TV Plus episodes. Bing bong, just dropping in with an edit because I meant to say that The Bastard Son and the Devil Himself is on Netflix, uh, so I would have discussed that in my Netflix episode. Okay, as you were. The others, so Our Flag Means Death, The Resort, and The Rehearsal, I think I haven't had a chance to talk about yet. I was going to do um, an episode where I talked about Now TV, but just fell by the wayside. Our Flag Means Death I am definitely going to be talking more about in future. But anyway, all great shows. Again, what a great year for TV, it really was. However, far and away, the best new TV show of 2022 was Severance. Um, I might be tempted to give it to Our Flag Means Death, which I am fucking obsessed with right now. Um, Totally gave me brain rot, but... Severance takes it. I mean, I think Severance is one of the best TV shows of the past decade, let alone the past year. I I really love that show. Um, And I, you know, I don't think I have a single bad thing to say about it. I really don't. Um, I think it's so fantastic, so thoughtful, so compelling, just dark but funny so much going on. I love it. Um, so absolutely it's severance, even though everything on that list fucking slaps. Okay. So that just goes to show how good severance is. Uh, okay. All right. Um, now best returning TV show, Hacks, Ghosts, brackets, BBC, Doom Patrol, Only Murders in the Building, I Hate Susie too. Probably wouldn't have made this list if I hadn't made this list, like, soon after watching that, because actually, (laughs) I don't really think it was that great, but I think I'd just seen it when I was putting this together, and I was like, yeah, I'll put that on there, but no. Um, I think Doom Patrol potentially would have taken this if it hadn't had the season split up into two parts. Um, If I'd watched the whole season, maybe it would have taken this. 
But I think for me, it really has to be hacks. Um, and shout out to my friend Johnny, friend of the podcast, who reminded me <laughs> that hacks, um, like the second season of hacks was 2022. Cause I had actually a hundred percent, basically I like binged all of hacks without really thinking about like when it came out or anything. I just binged it all in one go. So I wasn't really thinking about it as like a 2022 returning show, but it is, and it rules. Um, we love hacks. It's great. Uh, and it does have to take this, I think. Uh, okay, so best ensemble in a TV show, and they're all so good. Again, like any one of these could take it, but let's uh, let's let's go through them. Ghosts, brackets BBC, The After Party, House of the Dragon, Doom Patrol, Our Flag Means Death, Severance, um, all stunning. However, again, it has to be Severance. What a show! What a cast! I mean, John Turturro probably is my standout, but there's not a bad performance in the bunch. Absolutely everybody is killing it. What a show. <laughs> I'm getting getting emotional thinking about it, alright? Uh, okay, moving on. Best lead performance in a TV show. Uh, I'm gonna... I'm gonna mispronounce some of these names. I'm not adequately prepared for this episode. Um, Sam Richardson got that one. I'm confident with that one. Oh, hello, kitty cat. Hey, baby. That was weird. Sorry. <laughs> he really snuck up on me there. Um, okay, Sam Richardson, you a fan, baby boy? Yeah? Um, for The After Party. Jay Lysergo for The Bastard Son and The Devil Himself. Christine Milioti for The Resort. Jean Smart and Hannah Einbinder slash Einbinder. Could be either for Hacks. Uh, or Taika Waititi for Our Flag Means Death, which, I don't know, arguably not a lead performance. I think there is an argument that it's a supporting performance, but I, I gotta say he's one of the leads. I think, yeah. Uh, even, mm, you know what? W- we're gonna get into the show in a lot more detail in a subsequent episode, I am sure. But yeah, I'm going to say Taika Waititi is, is one of the leads in Our Flag Means Death and winner of this category, um, a late entry, because I only just caught up on this show. Um, but um, but yeah, I think really impressive. I mean, I like Taika Waititi a lot. Definitely have mixed feelings about his both his kind of directorial career and actually also him as a performer like for example in the what was it even fucking called free guy with the um ryan reynolds the video game movie when he was in taika waititi and that it was like that is so phoned in you know um and uh, you know as far as his um his directing crew goes you know i absolutely love boy i really like what we do in the shadows there's other stuff he's done where i'm kind of like okay um however i really thought um he was absolutely at the top of his game in um oh i like um thor ragnarok by the way i i haven't seen the latest thor movie don't walk on my keyboard baby sorry he likes to walk on my keyboard um uh, yeah, I haven't seen the latest Thor movie. Um, I heard pretty bad things, but I like Ragnarok. Uh, anyway, 
you get the picture. I thought he was really good in Our Flag Means Death. Might be one of my... It's probably my favourite performance from him, and it might be one of the my favourite things that is associated with him. Although, boy, still, I think is fucking great. Uh, but anyway, yeah, Taika Waititi. What are you going to do? Okay, so, best supporting performance in a TV show. Paddy Considine for House of the Dragon. Matt Smith for House of the Dragon. Luis Gerardo Mendez for The Resort. Ben Sinclair for The Resort. Nadia Parks for The Busted Son, The Devil Himself. And Christopher Walken for Severance. Um, I've got to give it to Paddy Considine. I just think he was so good in House of the Dragon and really slept on, I think, in terms of awards recognition. I probably think his performance was the best thing in that show. You know, the best thing. Yeah, maybe the best thing. Actually, maybe the best thing. Love Matt Smith too. Always been a big, big fan of Matt Smith. Love what he's doing. But yeah, Paddy Constantine for me, absolutely killing it in that show. And um, yeah, really underappreciated, it feels like. Uh, So hey, you know, at least he got a Panicky Award. So congrats to him for that. Um, Just a couple more. All right, so best TV show I didn't watch from 2022. It's quite a short list, actually. I watched, I guess, way more TV than movies last year. And I feel like this year is shaping up the same. And maybe this needs to shift to being a TV podcast, right? Like, maybe that's just the way things are going for me. I don't know. Anyway, uh, best TV show I didn't watch from 2022. A League of Their Own. Still haven't caught up with it, I'm sorry. And Peacemaker. And, you know, I've bolded Peacemaker here. Um, I don't know if that's right. I have no way of knowing because I haven't seen them. For some reason, I guess when I had to pick one, the vibe was Peacemaker is better, but now I'm thinking that's probably not true. I simply don't know. Um, and maybe I'll find out soon. I don't know. We'll see. All right. Um, I just have one last category. Again, it was a, a late edition because of something that I recently watched and it's best TV show about queer pirates, and the winner is Our Flag Means Death. Now listen, I know what you're going to say. What about Black Sails? Well, first of all, I've only seen a little bit of Black Sails, and the bit that I saw, it was like there was hardly any queer stuff in it yet. Um, And then, I don't know, like it didn't look. I'm sure I'd love it if I just gave myself a chance to get into it, but it just didn't happen yet. And one day, I guess it will also write not a 2022 show, right? It didn't have a it didn't have a season in 2022. It was done by then, right? I feel like am I wrong? The point is, our flag means death was the best TV show about queer pirates of 2022 for me. Okay, so again, this is my list, and you can feel free to make your own list. <laughs> Okay, (laughs) and thus wraps up a weirdly combative and insecure episode of this increasingly irregular and stressed out podcast. I really hope that I manage to get it out to you in the next few days, Um, and oh boy, won't that be a treat for everybody. (laughs) Uh, But, you know hey at least i've recorded another fucking episode finally um 
and they can't take that away from me. Uh, But listen, coming up, I'm really hoping to do episodes about The Last of Us. I want to talk about queer rom-coms, maybe rom-coms in general. I want to finally do this Daisy Chain episode that I promised like a year ago, and it just feels like it's going to be a little bit of work to put together, and I just haven't had ever the headspace to get to it but I really want to do it I do really want to do it so um so pray for me and hopefully I'll catch up with you again soon um I hope things are going great for you and (laughs) you're not too angry with me about all the blonde stuff um I you know I get it I get it it wasn't for everybody but it just you know what? Okay, let's let's not beat a dead horse. Okay, I'll 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 catch you later.